Hey y'all, this is Allie Spears, your host of the Ag Chicks podcast, where I cultivate connections with the women who are helping feed the world. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jill is the founder of The Prairie Homestead, one of the foremost homesteading websites since 2010. She is dedicated to helping others learn how to grow their own food and live a more fulfilling old-fashioned life. Her practical and authentic style of teaching and storytelling has won the hearts of hundreds of thousands of homesteaders across social media and through the top-ranked Old Fashioned on Purpose podcast and the best-selling Prairie Homestead cookbook. Please help me in welcoming Jill to the podcast. Tell me a little bit about where you are located exactly. Yeah, so we are in southeast Wyoming out on the prairie where it is, I'm pretty sure, potentially one of the windiest places in the United States. So I don't know why they call Chicago the Windy City. I feel like that is unfair. We should totally have that term, but that's where I live. Okay, and I was in Colorado last week um, and we were in feed yards, so that was very windy, but there were some individuals with us from Wyoming and they were like, this is nothing. So yep, yep, totally, (laughs) yes. Um, and so is that where you have always been located or did you guys move there? So my husband's from this area. I actually originally from North Idaho and I came down here to go to a little community college and that's where I met him. And then I just like Wyoming. Um, I don't, I don't know, just something about the prairie speaks to me. So here we are and I plan to stay here as long as I can. Yeah, for sure. That's like definitely uh Yellowstone vibes all the way, right? Just the yep. wide open prairie. It's something, there's something like romantic about that for sure too. Yes, there is. I often like when, whenever I've gone to the ocean, which isn't super often, but I feel like familiar, familiarity with the ocean. And I think it's because of how grasslands, it just remind me of water moving and there's something really calming about that. So yeah, there's just something about it. Yeah. I like just the wide openness of it. I think. Yes. Yes. I love the vastness. Well, very cool. Um, so let's talk a little bit about kind of, I guess let's start from the beginning. So what was your upbringing like? Was it involved in agriculture or not at all? No, not really. Um, yeah, people assume I came from a big farm family or something. I didn't. I was just a typical kid in a suburban neighborhood growing up. Uh, I, the one thing that set me apart was I had this crazy longing for rural living. And I mean, from the age of like three, I would just beg and beg my parents we could, that we could move to a farm or a ranch. And I, I really wanted horses. I was one of those weird horse girls. And so I was like, please, please, I just need land for a horse. Um, and they were just eh, not, not into it. Didn't want to take the, the plunge. And so when I finally turned 18... I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and everyone was offering suggestions. And I'm like, all of those sound like torture. I'm not interested. And the only thing I could uh, stomach doing was coming to a horse program, an equine program at a community college. And I majored in equine studies and that kind of got my foot in the door in the horse world and that turned into homesteading. And yeah, here we are today. Okay. Yeah. And so obviously it sounds like you had that kind of longing to be involved in just kind of the rural living, like you, like you mentioned, and then, um, have a connection to agriculture in a way as well. Um, so what, was there like a dream job that you had, or you just kind of wanted to be connected to that Western way of life? I really wanted to be a horse trainer for a while. 
And then I apprenticed under some trainers um, who maybe were looking back. I'm like thinking maybe they quite weren't what I needed to, who I need to be working with, but I got pretty burned out. And I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't feel like it's for me. Um, and so I took a little sabbatical with that and ended up being a vet tech for a couple of years. And I got to do a lot of large animal and preg checking and bangs vaccinating and, you know, working cattle. And I loved that. Um, so that kind of also got me into the agricultural world and the ranch world, even though I wasn't, you know, actively living on a ranch at that point. Right. So then when you met your husband, obviously, and you decided to stay in Wyoming, um, what did that look like in terms of like, what was your guys's plan? And like, was it going to be jumping straight into this homesteading? Or how did that evolve? So the horses kind of led us to the property we have today. Um, we bought it back in 2008. And that was the first step for us because he was raised very similar to how I was raised in that he was in town kid, you know, his parents had no desire to do anything out of the typical, you know, standard American lifestyle, but he had always wanted to be a farm kid and a ranch kid. So we've met each other and we're like, Oh, we, we both want this, even though we never had it. And so we had talked about like someday owning a ranch, but you know, when you don't come from that, it's really difficult to get into those worlds. And so we kind of put that on the back burner. And when we got married and started looking for our first house, we didn't know what we wanted, except we knew that we didn't want the typical little house in town next to Walmart. Like, right. The typical starter home was just like not for us. And so we had a couple horses and I'm like, I just, I've always wanted horses on my own property out my front door. So we started to look for land uh, and a way we could afford that, you know? And so the only way we could afford it was buying, we bought 67 acres with the most horrendous little house and tumble down outbuildings. And that's what got our feet in the door. But I think the the initial impetus for homesteading within that was as I started to look at this land, I wanted to make it productive in some way. And that was the first time I'd ever had those thoughts of like, how could I become not just a consumer, but also a producer. Right. And I started to realize that this set of weird old fashioned homesteading skills, even though I didn't know it was called homesteading back then. Um, it was a way that we could get our foot in the door of ag without having to come from you know, a family inheritance of a farm or a ranch lifestyle. And so I remember during those early years feeling a little sense of legitimacy when we were learning how to milk the goats and learning how to dehorn them and learning how to grow things. I'm like, I can have a piece of this, even though I wasn't born into it. And that felt really good. Yeah, for sure. I So one of the most common questions I get as being someone who is fourth generation involved in agriculture, but in a way kind of starting over because I'm not on my family operation. We're in Texas now is, you know, how do I get my foot in the door in ag and just kind of that that way of life. And so I think your perspective on that is really interesting um, because exactly like you said, you kind of found a legitimacy, even though it wasn't a generational ranch that got passed yes. down and you were living on the family legacy, um, kind of starting your own in a way. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. So like really starting from scratch, we didn't have anyone to pass down anything. And it, like my husband and I have often joked, like that just seems to be our lot in life. And I don't say that with a negative attitude at all. I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, and I love, I mean, I think it's so cool to see generational operations or have people who are like, my grandpa did this and he rode this land and he owned, and I'm like, it's so cool. But like, for some reason in every single area of my life, I've always, God or the universe or however you want to describe it has always said, okay, you're going to get to figure this out from scratch and you're, you're going to get to it to take full ownership of it. And you're going to be successful at it. And it's going to be awesome, but you get to start from scratch. And so I've just like learned in every part of my life, that's what we do. And it's kind of funny now because I just expect it, but it's been good because it's, we've had to learn the hard way on a lot of things, but man, once you learn those lessons, they're in there. Yeah. Well, I think it creates a sense of resiliency too, that you can do whatever you want to do kind of thing. Yes, totally. 
So what was the first step in obviously buying the land and, and starting there, but then what was the next thing? Like, was it a animal purchase or putting in a garden? What was kind of the next, what was your journey? I guess is my question. So believe it or not, the first step was a compost pile okay. or actually a glorified manure pile. It wasn't, now I know it wasn't even officially compost, but I called it the compost pile. And the reason we started there is because we were too broke to afford a tractor. Okay. And I had horses and horses make manure and the manure was piling up. And I'm like, this is a problem. And I need a, a way to deal with this. And I can't go, you know, haul it away or spread it out because I don't have the equipment. And so I was like, I could compost it and it will be amazing. And it all will, you know, just even that idea, when I first thought of that, of turning something that was a, a waste product or, you know, a trash product into something useful, like it sparked something in my brain. And I'm like, wow, that, this is exciting. I, I, I didn't know I could be so excited over horse manure. <laughs> so we built little bins on our property and I started trying to compost very poorly, but I tried. Um, and then I realized I needed something to use the compost in. So we put in a garden and it was so weird. This is a hundred year old homestead that didn't have a garden spot that I could find. So we had to start that from scratch. Uh, and, and there was a lot of trash as a lot of old farmsteads, you know, how they, it's how it goes. We were digging, we would till up the spot and dig all the trash out of the dirt and till it again and then dig more trash. Um, so the garden, and then I impulse bought chickens one Friday night off Craigslist. And this like was before, it's just Chickens are the gateway drug. <laughs> chickens are the gateway drug. And back then it's like, I just want people to know, like, now chickens are cool and trendy and like, it's the thing. It was not the thing no. back then. Like people didn't have, that was not cool. And people were like concerned. Like people were looking at me like, you are not well. Like there is something wrong with you. You're like 24 and why are you buying chickens and doing these weird things? So it was rather funny. But again, it kind of taught me to um, be okay being the loner and just doing my own thing and kind of saying to heck with the rest. Right. Okay. Yeah. Wow. What a what a journey. And who would have thought that a compost pile could launch a whole new lifestyle, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The craziest thing sometimes That's all it takes. And so when you guys got married was obviously you kind of shared that this was this life that you wanted, but did you think this was the route that it was going to take or what, what was kind of your, what did you envision, I guess, as being your future on this land? Yeah, I definitely had no idea that it would turn into what it did has today. It's just, it's mind blowing. Uh, I could never have predicted it. I think at that point we were both working outside the home. My husband was an electrician and I was a vet tech. And so we would leave the property every day and drive our jobs and we would just work on homestead stuff on the weekends. And, and that to me felt good enough at that point. I'm like, we'll just be, you know, cause I still had a lot of beliefs that I had to live like a normal person, like a standard right. American person. And there was, I couldn't really push outside a lot of that. So I was still trying to be the good girl and follow the rules with just a little bit of weirdness thrown in. And then, um, as I think the big, one of the big shifts happened when I got pregnant with our first child and I realized driving 30 minutes to a vet job for pretty low wages, wasn't going to work with having a baby. I couldn't, I couldn't justify daycare. I didn't really want to do daycare. So I started to stay at home and I started to pour myself more into the homestead. And that's when I started my blog and long story short, the blog grew and became uh, a business. And I had no idea that could happen either. So that was crazy. And then once, you know, I make it sound really short there was a lot of learning and a lot of, you know, the, the middle that we don't talk about, we just go right. beginning and look at me, I'm successful, but that's not right. how it went. There was a lot of stuff in the middle, but when the, when the blog became actually profitable, we were invited to step outside of the, the norm once again, and a question like, how are we making a living? What if we could make a living in a different way? What if we don't have to work for someone else? And so that invited us to kind of shake up uh, that aspect aspect of our life. My husband came home 2015 and we started to build our businesses and then he had more time to work on homestead stuff then as well. So that was, it was kind of a progression of, we started off with just 
normal people with a little bit of homesteading and then gradually got, I guess, weirder as the time went on, more unconventional. I say weird in a, in a fond way. I, I like weird people. So right. I just like to do things differently. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's sometimes there's beauty in doing things differently. And yes. uh, sometimes the most successful people have to look at things differently. Um, so you mentioned the, the beginning and the end. And I think a lot of times you're right. We talk about this idea and then how it all worked out in the end. But what was the middle like? Like what, what led you or what were like maybe some things that happened where did you ever question like, am I doing the right thing? Or is this the journey that we should be on? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the middle first off was just a lot of many, like many days, mm-hmm. hundreds of days, thousands of days of just doing the same thing over and over. Not in a monotonous rut-like way, but more of just like committing to the work and just putting in the reps to figure things out. Um, and there's really nothing that can replace that in any area of life. You just got to put in the time. Um, there were definitely lots of ups and downs. I wouldn't say within homesteading specifically that I ever had a moment where I'm like, should we do this? Because this desire to live in a rural way of a rural lifestyle was such a driving force for me from such a young age. I'm like, there is no other option for me. Like, I love this. I must have this. This is it. Like, I cannot live anywhere else. However, there were plenty of times where you don't feel like we got kicked in the gut when things would die or the gardens would get hailed out. Like there were absolutely hard times. But, um, and, and when I say that, I don't want people to think that if they have ever doubted the calling in something that, that that means they shouldn't do it because I have doubted my callings in other areas of my life. That doesn't mean you should just give it up. It means that maybe you're just going through a rocky patch, but in homesteading specifically that tie to the land and that desire um, to live off the beaten path is so wired into me. I've always known that was right, even on the days where I'm, you know, devastated over something dying or something bad happening. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, I think, an important trait, too, because life is not easy, right? And whatever capacity that you're living it in, Um, but especially when you are living it in a way that you are responsible for other lives, like whether that's livestock or children, Yes. Um, and being firm enough in your own belief to stick to that hard. Um, that's, I think it's rewarding at the end of the day. Um, but it's not always a bright light in the process. Totally. Yeah. There's days where it's like, you know, it's not Instagram worthy and there isn't a victory story yet because there is no victory and you're just slogging it out. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things homesteading has taught me, and I think agriculture does this in general is just because it's hard. Doesn't mean it's bad. Right. And our culture has that belief. Our modern culture does hold to that. Like if it's hard, if it takes effort, if it's uncomfortable, you shouldn't do it. It's bad. It's bad. Run, run, run. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You lean into that sometimes. And I think that's such an important lesson. Yeah, no, I could not agree more. I think there's beauty in the difficult sometimes. Yes. Um, being at the end of the day, when you know you put in a lot of work to be able to have your meal that you provided on your table, right? Is, yes. It's so rewarding. In, in a it process. is. I can't personally relate to that on like the level that you guys do. Um, but I think just even being a piece of agriculture is rewarding in some facet. Um, Absolutely. And what I always think is, you know, there's still people who come to us and like, why are you doing this? Why are you spending so much effort into what you do and growing stuff? Like just go to the grocery store, just like do something easier. And I'm like, but you will never get that feeling of satisfaction. Like I do when I've done the hard thing and I figured it out and I've learned the hard lessons. And then I have something to show for it. Like that's priceless. I think it's almost addictive once you feel it. And I think that's why in agriculture, ranching, farming, homesteading, we keep coming back um, because it feels really good once you get through that hard stuff. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, yeah, that I talked with somebody else. Um, I think it was Allison Weens about like the instant gratification of agriculture of yeah. like planting the seed and seeing the harvest. And it's something like, if that's something that you're into, you can't get away from it once you, yeah. once it sinks your teeth, sinks its teeth into you for sure. Amen. I agree completely. Um, so at this point you have, you still have the blog and everything, but then you also share on social media. How did that kind of become a part of your story? Yeah. So, um, I think it it happened pretty early on and I initially started my blog just as a way to talk about what I was doing because no one around me was interested in it. And they were, I think people were getting tired of me talking about it because I just get outrageously excited over silly things like compost piles or homemade yogurt or whatever. So I I needed an outlet. I was also a stay-at-home mom, very isolated, 30 miles from town with a baby. And I was like losing my mind. So I started the blog as just a way to word vomit out all the things I wanted to say. And then I started, you know, blogging was a little different back then. It was easier to get an audience. So I started to have people reading it. I'm like, well, this is weird, but you know, they're just interested in my little daily journal and and whatever. And then um, I'll never forget. There was a friend from college who messaged me on Facebook one day. And she's like, I love what you're writing. Keep sharing because I wish I could do what you're doing. And that sounds obvious now, but like back then I'd never heard anyone say that. Like she was my age and she wanted to do all these weird homesteady things. And it just blew my mind that I wasn't the only one. And it was that day where I'm like, I think I could help people. I'm, you know, I'm a few steps ahead of where these folks are at. What if I help them along on their path? I'm not an expert, but I'm a few steps ahead. And so I started shifting my content from more like, here's what I'm eating for lunch today to here's how I made my cookies. Here's how I canned the tomato sauce. And, um, man, again, I make it sound fast. It was several years of consistently showing up and figuring out what people needed and finding their problems and solving their problems, but started to grow and my audience grew and people were eating it up. Um, and that blog turned into YouTube and podcasts and social media. And it's just still kind of an extension of what I started back, I guess, 2010. I've been doing it for 13 years now of just helping people, whatever problems they're experiencing in this old fashioned lifestyle, helping them find solutions. And it's worked really well. And it's been quite the path to get to experience and have that become my full-time career now. By ranchers for ranchers together, let's make ranching easier. Previously known as cattle back box, Strayhorn has rebranded to better match their ability to push the envelope and creating innovative animal management products to serve the ranching community. Strayhorn is rooted in tradition and ranching legacy, but they believe in the opportunity of looking at things with a new perspective to drive the industry forward. Check out all of the things that Strayhorn has to offer you and your herd. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Do you say that, and this may be kind of an interesting question, but I, and I, I'm, it's evolving as it's coming out of my mouth, so bear with sure. me. But having such a focus on like the old fashioned lifestyle and being really connected to kind of the earth and all of those things, but then also having this modernization of social media and blogging and those types mm-hmm. of modern things that we do as a society, how have those 
complemented each other, but then how have they also worked against each other, I guess, is my question. Yes. Great question. The paradox is fascinating. And I am not, it's not lost on me. Sometimes I'll have people online. um, They'll be like, oh, I caught you. You have a phone and you're posting on Instagram. And I'm like, yes, Linda, it's not, (laughs) I mix. And I don't mean it like that. I don't, yeah, no, like no, I, I don't think, I don't think you meant it like that at all. I just think it's, it's so funny when people, you know, think it's like, I'm trying to hide that. I have, you know, I have a podcast studio. Right. I have YouTube cameras. I have a f- iPhone and a laptop. So I, I love it's, it cracks me up sometimes, but I love the juxtaposition. Um, my brain, I'm not, and I'm, you know, I'm happy, I'm happy to admit this. I love the fast pacedness of the online world and getting to figure out marketing messages and helping people with problems and communicating um, lightning speed with everyone. I think that's so, it, it just lights me up. I love as much as I love canning tomatoes or building compost piles. Um, I also know that it's really easy to get sucked into the digital high tech world. And, you know, the online content creation business just like takes, takes, takes from you. Like it's like, there's no such thing as enough. Right. Right. Um, And so I also know that I have to balance this with putting it down and going outside and weeding or cleaning stalls or planting something in the garden. And I, I find that when I have both, my brain is the happiest the garden in the homestead keeps me grounded and the online world keeps me really motivated and stimulated. And so I love having both, but there is sometimes that um, tension of, you know, okay, I, I need to do stuff on the computer, but there's also 80 pounds of tomatoes that need can. How am I going to do both? Or on my phone, like anyone else, it's, I struggle with my phone distracting me because that's their addictive in nature, you know? So I'll be outside ex- enjoying a really beautiful evening on the homestead. And then I have the temptation of the phone and I need to answer this. I need to pull out my camera. I need to go check Instagram. So I have to battle that. So I, for me, having both mixed together, the pros outweigh the cons, yeah. but it's, it's a funny world I live in sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I mean, just even personally, I can relate to that for my own life, I guess. Um, yeah. My favorite time of the day, you know, is going home and feeding cows in the evening and I have to very, you know, be cognizant of, okay, I need to put my phone down for 30 minutes. The world will not come crashing down and, and really just kind of enjoy this moment because, um, as you probably have found, it's great to be connected, but it's also so nice to just disconnect and be where you are and present where you are. Um, so I was just curious on how, how you juggle that. Um, Yeah. It's funny that when I'm out like milking a cow and not have the phone on my ear, you know, like it's, I'm like, oh, this is so weird, Jill. Like, come on. <laughs> so but sometimes, weird. sometimes too, right? That's the best content. So like knowing yes. when to like draw the line of, okay, I just need to enjoy this or, oh, I should probably capture this too. I yes. struggle with that big time. I do too. And I find, I actually did YouTube for a couple of years and I stopped because I got to where I would just, I love projects. I love being outside. Like I love just immersing myself in what I'm doing, even in manual labor. But then when I have to move the camera angle all every 30 seconds, like I just would dread it and I just resent it. So I'm like, you know what? I need to be able to split this part of my life out where I can just be a a person outside doing chores sometimes like without the camera. So that's why I've shifted more podcasting because I can have podcast time and then I can go out and have homestead time. And I like the the separation, although I still film what we do outside on occasion. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's a a delicate balance for sure. It is a delicate balance, but yeah, there is that pull of like, oh, this is so good. Should I film it? Oh, you know, that, that question all the time. Yeah. And, um, so as things have evolved and grown for you guys, are you guys pretty much like fully sustainable on your homestead or what's the breakdown of that at this point? 
So we still go grocery shopping once or twice a month. You know, there's just some things. I think it's almost impossible. I, there might be some people who do it, but it's almost impossible to be fully self-sufficient in terms of all your own food, just because right. you still need salt. And very few people can grow their own if they're, you know, they're not gluten-free and they're trying to eat bread. Like you can't grow a lot of wheat on a, on a homestead. So there's still things that I do buy, although it's drastically reduced over the years. So we raise all of our own meat. I don't buy meat at the grocery store. Um, we do about all of our own dairy, about 50% of the year, uh, I'll milk and do that the rest of the time. I could be a little more disciplined with how we manage our milk cow, but I, you know, I also have, that takes a lot of time and I have other areas of life that are consuming. So, um, we do raise our own milk about 50% of the time. Our vegetables, I would say 60% we grow ourselves. Like I never have to buy tomato sauce and I never have to buy pickles and I don't buy jams, um, make all of that ourselves, grow it all ourselves. Fruit, I don't do well with fruit in Wyoming because it's Wyoming. So yeah, I, I buy, buy the fruit and the avocados and bananas. We're still buying that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a, a higher percentage. And then I have to buy the dry goods, the flowers and the sugars, but it's, it's pretty cool to have, you know, to see it grow over the years and have that percentage increase of what we don't have to buy at the grocery store. Yeah. Very cool. And then is this, do you guys, is it basically just for your family or do you guys sell some of it too? Or how does that kind of work? A couple of years ago, we started raising and selling direct to consumer, um, grass finished beef. Okay. That was just part of our, it was kind of another way we could get our foot in the ranching door. So we lease ground from a neighbor and we're able to do ranchy things without having that big ranch quite yet. Although that's still down the road is one of our dreams. Um, so we do sell that to, to, to people, but the rest of the stuff, you know, I've dabbled in selling milk or eggs over the years. It's with my other businesses and that I spend so much time on, it's easier just to grow the other food for ourselves. Yeah. Um, I can make a few bucks here and there, but I'm like, eh, I got to focus where I need to focus. And so the right. rest is just for us. Right. Yeah. And so for direct to consumer stuff, is that mostly just kind of local for beef wise? It's actually, we um, ship it all over the U.S. We okay. have, so I've been kind of using my blog as part of my platform for that. So we have some of my audience buys. I don't, I haven't marketed it as robustly as I probably should. Cause I, you know, a lot of irons in the fire, right. um, but we're shipping out orders every week. So yeah, that took, oh, wow. that was like the heck of a learning process to figure out the dry ice and the, the containers and yes. the, like whole, I underestimated that, but we got it figured out. So now it's operational. Yes. Yeah. The shipping stuff in any business, I feel like is a whole nother layer, especially when you have a perishable item. I know yeah. for me, that's yeah. like the biggest hold back for direct to consumer stuff is like, Oh, I don't know about the whole shipping thing. <laughs> yeah. And I came from the world of just like, I was always selling digital products. Yeah. So margins were fantastic. You know, you get like a hundred percent profit on you selling your eBooks and then it just goes out to an email address. So it was a uh, culture shock to go to the world of of shipping meat with dry ice. <laughs> yeah. So I bet. Yeah. I bet. And then just like kind of big picture, all of the things that you have going on. I know we've talked about a few of them, but like what are all of your businesses exactly? So my original blog, The Prairie Homestead, is still kind of the pillar. And we have the, the podcast that goes in with that and um social media platforms. And I do different courses and ebooks and stuff over uh the course of the years that I sell through there. Um, I've written a couple traditionally published books, so that's another arm. And then we bought a little restaurant a couple of years ago in our tiny town. Um, less is like a big grand business scheme and more just to help support our community. So it's profitable, but not like, you know, not millions of dollars per year profitable because it is a restaurant. Right. So we have that. And then we have our, our grass finished beef, which we ship. And then we also use that at the restaurant. So it kind of crosses over a little bit. 
Very cool. You're a busy, busy lady. Busy, busy. Yeah, I do have help. I do like to tell people I have, we have a hired man and some interns and stuff. Cause I, I do definitely do not do it all by myself. So I am not super woman just, <laughs> just to put it out there. I have help. Um, well, fantastic. And I think, I guess my closing kind of question here would be, what would be your advice to someone thinking they want to kind of jump into this lifestyle? Um, I'm sure obviously you have lots of books and, and blogs and all the things that they can read, but maybe just kind of a little condensed version of what your advice to someone might be. Yeah, I think the best advice I can give is just to take action. I see that a lot of people, there's so much information now available for people who want to homestead compared to when I started, which is great. It can also be a a blessing and a curse because you can just read and watch YouTubes and listen to podcasts just in to infinity and never take the action. So at some point you got to turn off the YouTube channel, put the books down and go do the thing. So I would say take action as quickly as you can, even if it's imperfect, even if it's small, that's going to get you further than any magical book or, or YouTube channel. Um, and then the other piece I'd say, if people are wanting more of that homestead vibe, maybe they can't go a whole hog right now, or they can't move to land or property, or they can't build at all is start with the food because you're eating anyway. You probably have a kitchen odds, you know, odds are most people have kitchens and you can do a lot with just being becoming more aware of the ingredients in your food and how you're preparing it, learning how to cook from scratch. You can get a lot of homestead stuff done and get all of that feeling of accomplishment just with the kitchen you have now. So that's a great place to start. Yeah. Fantastic advice. I love that. I think, um, as our world becomes even crazier, I think people are trying to find this connection back to where, back to where we're, our roots are. And so, um, I appreciate you taking time to chat with me today and kind of sharing a little bit more about your story. Um, but if someone is wanting to reach out or get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So my blog has all my contact info and, um, kind of the hub of everything I'm doing. So, the prairiehomestead.com. And if they're on inst- or on social media, I'm most active on Instagram okay. and my handle is jill.winger. So they could send me a DM over there. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Jill. I appreciate, uh, again, you taking some time to chat with me and um, I hope that listeners enjoyed kind of a very different take on things. I know I learned a lot and I appreciate you um, being on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Ag Chicks. Don't forget to follow along on social media at AgChicks for more agricultural-related content. And also be sure to check out your favorite podcast gear from www.agchicks.net. We'll see you next time.